Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. The premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians. If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to 100000 plus a year at AAA Heating and Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match, and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and air. Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head and Wes Mitchell along with you today. No Chris Clark today. Uh, to my knowledge, Chris Clark is not a secret Bengals fan that just doesn't want to show up, is he? If he is, then he's kept that secret from me for years, Tyler. So I don't think that's the case. Um, I don't know if Chris is uh, on assignment, as he said he was uh, okay. on, on Friday or Tuesday, whenever that was, he was out. I uh, I don't know. He may just be playing hooky. Maybe he maybe he had a case of the Mondays, didn't want to come in. But um, I can promise you he is having a better day than some of the Bengals fans out there and certainly from maybe a couple of those Bengals players. So I, and I talked about this thing at the end of the, the last hour there, the, you know, quote from Travis Kelsey and, you know, know your role, shut your mouth, you jabroni talking about the uh, – the Cincinnati mayor. I thought about this when that happened. I don't know. I can't even remember what the Cincinnati mayor's name is. But given that he's in politics, he's probably been called a lot of things in his political career. I can guarantee you, Jabroni has never been on that list. But I know what the I know what clip's going to get played when he's assuming going up for re-election in November or whenever it is. That clip's going to get played over and over. And over and over again. And, you know, he kind of did to himself. He put out the little video last week trying to troll the Chiefs and, you know, came back and hit him in the face. Well, if you're, if you're going to, I think, write those checks, um, you know, your, your team better be able to cash them, I think. And, you know, I, I think uh, he was having fun, obviously. I think he was playing to his base, clearly. Sure. Absolutely. But, um, man, you, you need to find a way to win the game. And there, there was a lot of talking going into this game from the Cincinnati side. Yep. And um, I, I don't know, you, you kind of just had a fit, especially, you know, with Mahomes coming in hurt. And for a team that has been as good as the Chiefs are, uh, I think there was a little bit of disrespect going into this game. And, and I think they took that quite personally. And, uh, you know, they find a way to win there at the end. I, I will say this. I know there's been a lot of talk about the officiating and, uh, you know, across multiple plays. But I think – I mean, 
as much as you hate to make that call at the end if you're the ref. Sure. I mean, you can't not make it. Like it was. He's a, he's out of bounds, right? Yeah. Like if if Mahomes had one foot in bounds and one foot like still up in the air, okay. Now you're kind of talking about LeBron line, but he was solidly out of bounds, starting to slow up his momentum. Like that's it's too obvious not to call. You had to make the call. I hate it. I hate it for fifty eight. Um, I mean, he's trying to make a play. Yeah. Like I, I get how it happens, and it, it has it has been interesting to see the various, I guess, reactions to that on social media. Everything from, I feel really bad for him because he was obviously distraught. He was beside yeah. himself. Yeah. Everything from, I feel awful for him, to, how can you feel awful for him? He's a millionaire. He made a dumb mistake. To, he's a moron for making that play. Yeah. All the way to, it was the right call. It was the wrong call. And, you know, I, I found myself saying nobody feels worse than him, obviously. It was not a good play. It was the right call. But at the same time, you are going full speed. Yep. You're a big man. You're chasing a guy smaller than you. That was probably the fastest burst we've seen from Mahomes all night long. Yeah, it was really the only time he, like, really – kind of had to scramble yeah he he turned it on on that play because he knew he's got to get he's got to get that angle there basically and um I I just found myself saying I I understand how he did it yeah feel awful for him um he actually played a great game Mm -hmm. uh you know before that and you know you could tell he felt the immense just weight of that moment almost immediately after it happened when they kept showing him on the sideline and, uh, dude, I here's the thing, though. If that field goal was much longer, I know the weather was it was so cold. Sure. You know, mo- 45-yarder is nothing for most NFL kickers. That ball barely got over. I'm, I'm thinking if they're having to kick it for much farther, we're maybe having a different conversation. Although there was – the clock was stopped. Yeah. There would have been time for the Chiefs to run some type of quick out – Try and uh, try and catch, you know, catch the pass, get out of bounds, and sort of set up the same field goal. But no, no question that it was a a huge call in the game. It had a huge effect on it, and um, we'll, we'll never know what would have happened. I know there was some talk about maybe there was a missed block in the back on the punt mm-hmm. return before that. Um, I get, I get it. Why there's a lot of talk about the officiating at the same time. Um, that call in itself was absolutely the right call I think. And, and I talked about this in the last hour I, I'm not one of these people that like genuinely subscribes to the belief that oh you know the referees want team A to win and they're trying to screw over team B or team B is paying them under the table blah 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 blah. I just genuinely think referees are not good at their job sometimes and and you know it's it's bang bang it's going fast you're having to make calls in split seconds like it's not going to be perfect but sometimes they just screw things up, and that's not to help or hurt one team. It's just they're caught in a situation they don't know what to do with, and they just make the wrong call. Well, I, I think these guys that you're trying to officiate are among the elite of the elite of the elite athletically. So they move so fast, and the game at that level moves so fast that the norm, a normal human being, which is what referees are, very much struggles to keep up, right. I, I think, at times. And, you know, in some cases you have, hey, you can you can review this. This can be fixed. In other cases, 
you don't. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of part of the game. I, I don't – this whole, you know, the NFL is rigged thing, I can already tell that's that's going to be just like a TikTok thing that overwhelms yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, and now you've got – you're going to have people saying it who firmly 100% truly believe it. Sure. It's gonna be it's gonna be annoying, like how how much that's gonna be talked about. Because now you're also gonna have people saying it, ironically to everything, just yep. making fun of it. Yep. And so it, it's it, I'm already annoyed by the the NFL is the NFL is not rigged, but the the referees across all sports, man. I mean, I watch a ton of Major League Baseball. The umpiring, absolutely terrible. Yep. On a night to night basis. And it's it's just because it's hard. It's not easy to do, and you've got people that are just phenomenal athletes that move faster than any of us most of the time even can imagine. Right. You know. So I I, I get it. It's a tough job. You know. You, you go back to the the Eagles and and Niners. Obviously, that game got away from the Forty ers because they didn't have a quarterback who could throw a forward pass yep. by the end. But the the early catch. Um, that I, I thought clearly looked like a catch in real time. Yep. Because like everybody else, I was watching his feet. And then you see the replay and you see, well, that ball touched the ground. It's, it's, well, if you're an official, it's very hard to see that. And it's significant. We didn't get that replay for about five minutes. TV didn't even know that it wasn't a catch until significantly later on in that first quarter. So, and, you know, Devontae Smith makes that catch and, you know, he's telling the offense, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And they get that next play off. And, you know, if the booth doesn't see anything in those few seconds before they snap that ball, they can't stop it. So clearly, if we didn't see a replay for five minutes, they obviously didn't see something in the 12 seconds it took to get that next snap off. So again, it's just kind of a, you know, it's a hard job and sometimes they mess things up. And that's what, again, I'm going to try to avoid Twitter as much as I can in regards to the officiating the penalties, but that is what everybody's going to be talking about for the next days really up until the Super Bowl probably yeah we got two weeks of it and I, I think it, it does to me open up the conversation for more technology in the officiating side of the game I yeah. mean I, I'm a big proponent of this idea of hey look it, are we really not at a point in the development of technology and sort of where it coincides with sports that we can't mark where a guy goes out of bounds we can't mark you know, whether a guy got a first down using technology. Like, that's... Well, they apparently have a chip in the football now. What that's used for, I don't know. But it's like, you know, if that's true, why are we still relying on spotting the ball based off of the ref eyeballing it? You could... I imagine you'd be able to tell exactly, okay, it's at the 37-and-a-half-yard line. Put the ball there. Like, somebody in their ear telling them that. Well, yeah, I hope that's the next piece of technology. That would be very yeah. effective if it is. Yeah, and, you know, you've got uh, – I know the – I'm not a soccer fan. The soccer aficionados, I guess, complain about VAR a lot mm -hmm. or whatever, but um, sure seems better than uh, – you know, and you've got – shoot, man, going back to MLB, they track every single ball, like, to a freaking centimeter. Yeah. Um, Because they have – and it's not even obviously with a chip. It's that they have so many cameras around that they can actually track it in three-dimensional space, I guess is the best way to say it. And so I'm sure they can do that with football. You would think not all – it's all. It's never going to be perfect. There's sure. always going to be issues. But sure. you would certainly think that, um, you know, that, that a lot of this stuff could be cleaned up just a little bit 
uh, or, or cleaned up a lot with just a little movement forward as far as an ability to use the technology or really at this point a willingness right to use the technology and you know i i'm sure cuz th- those were two very tight team like very close game obviously yep i get it because if a call hit goes here or there differently yeah it, it could have been different but right. um you know we'll see I, I do think there is a little bit of joe burrow um i, I think I think people went a little bit too heavy into the Joe Burrow is Mr. Cool, Mr. Clutch. If you actually look at the numbers, he does not perform as well late in tight games as the narrative says he does. If anything, mm-hmm. Mahomes Mahomes is the guy you don't want to go against with the game on the line. Yeah, and their numbers yesterday, Mahomes ended up having a far better game statistically and Burrow got sacked five times, which, you know, again, they, they do have a couple of offensive linemen that were missing, but, you know, he got rattled a lot, and uh, he threw two interceptions. One of those was off of a tip pass, but, um, you know, Mahomes definitely played better than, than Joe Burrow, but that being said, it still came down to the final, um, you know, final seconds there. I, I think, uh, to your point, the biggest difference in the entire game was the Chiefs' pass rush yep. against the Bengals. You know, it, it was – Especially early and then late, it felt like it felt like they controlled the game. The pass rush did early on, and then it felt like when they absolutely had to have stops, the pass rush took over again. And uh, you know, Burrow sort of in the middle meat of the game. I guess the Bengals were able to maybe do some things to try to slow down the rush, but when when everybody knew they were going to have to drop back and throw the ball, that's when that pass rush took over again. And I, I thought that was very clearly. Uh, the difference in this game. And, and Mahomes on the other side was able to move or, move around just enough. There was some pass rush, but um, he, I, you could tell the ankle wasn't 100%. Right. But considering what I know about high ankle sprains, for him to have had that eight days ago, he actually moved around phenomenally well. And then the, uh, I know they had the report he was doing four or five hours of – um, like physical therapy yep. each day leading up to it. So, uh, hey, that more power to him. That stuff works. You could tell he had really busted his tail to get back in a position to go play at what was probably, I don't know, man. He's maybe 75% of what he normally is. Yeah, no, he's definitely probably feeling it today. And you could definitely see he had some, you know, he was hobbled at times, especially after coming up from, getting tackled and stuff like that. But, you know, he put his best effort out there, and it was enough to, uh, you know, to, to beat the Bengals. Um, we'll come back on the other side. We'll get to some South Carolina stuff. I do want to continue with the NFL conversation. There's a question that came in on the text line that I want to get your take on in relate, in relation to what went down yesterday in the NFC Championship game. But you're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Before we hit the break, though, I'm going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to tomorrow night's men's basketball game as they take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs at Colonial Life Arena. That game tips off at 7 o'clock, and, of course, you can listen to it right here on 107.5 The Game. Be caller number 5 at 803-404-6100. 
This is Rich Valdez. Maybe you've seen me on TV or heard me on The Mark Levin Show. Join me Monday through Friday for America at Night, a new kind of talk show for a new generation. We'll talk to influencers and newsmakers about what's really going on in America, from politics to pop culture. We're also going to talk to you, so make sure you subscribe to America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night. Get the podcast wherever you listen. Win that pair of tickets. We'll be right back. Defense as there is across the entire league. A lot of fake pressure coming. Purdy, Jack, floating in the air. It is. Is it picked? No. Hit the ground. So that was Fox Sports' call during the NFC Championship game yesterday where Hassan Reddick hit San Francisco 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy, jarring the ball loose. That ended up being a fumble, and that ended up uh, putting Brock Purdy out. He did come back later in the game after his backup, Josh Johnson, went went out. And uh, we had, uh, what's his name, Marv on the text line ask a very good question. I wanted to get your perspective on this. Why the uh, 49ers didn't give Debo a shot at quarterback, considering he was a high school QB and even played some Wildcat when he was here at Carolina. They, of course, went to Josh Johnson. Then when he went out, they brought Purdy back in to just effectively hand the ball off. And uh, McCaffrey had a pass thrown in there. But it seemed like their other options were McCaffrey and Hughes check and uh, just didn't seem to have Debo factored in there at all. Yeah, I, uh, I imagine that, for one, they already have Debo doing so much as far as playing receiver, playing some running back, and um, I, I'm guessing they just hadn't really practiced it. And, um, you know, I, th- I think Debo played mostly receiver mm-hmm. in high school, uh, you know, if I remember correctly. Uh, I know he had a huge senior year playing receiver, so um, he, he did throw the ball, I think, a couple times. That was in some of the packages they had at Carolina, but for the most part um, – you know, I I tell you what, Tyler, I was a little bit surprised that Niners didn't have somewhat be, a somewhat better um, sort of pull in a case of emergency plan. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it seemed kind of like they were. It was one of those things where maybe, hey, that'll never happen, or if that happens, we're done anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But so I know you never think you're going to be sort of to what was your third quarterback for that game, um, but it it ha- it can happen and it clearly did in, in this case and and it was obvious that they didn't feel like Purdy could throw the football. Yeah. So clearly the Eagles know that. Load the box. And there was no respect for the passing game at that point. So it was essentially over, and you you only have so many running plays. So right. even like the misdirections and the end arounds and the re- reverses, those were going nowhere. Yeah, like I I honestly was a little bit surprised they didn't throw off of some of those reverses a little bit more and and just try to do some different things. But you were, I mean, they're down twenty one. Yep, late in the game. And are just handing the football yeah, off, lining up under center and handing the football off at that. Yeah, like if if you were watching that game and didn't have the context of oh, you know, their quarterback can't throw. Like if you just tuned in, right, you would think you had gone to an alternate reality and didn't understand football anymore. You're like, what? What are they doing? And so I, I, I don't know. Like I, I guess at some point you just if you don't have another quarterback on the roster, it is what it is. I I would have thought you maybe once. Once it was out that Purdy could not throw, yeah, you probably, to the texter's point, are better off. Now, it probably would have been McCaffrey. 
you're better off just running the Wildcat. Right. I feel like, and at least having that true run threat at the position. Yeah. Because with Purdy, you know, he's not, you know, he, he can move around, don't get me wrong, but he's not the runner that McCaffrey is. And then obviously they know he can't throw it at that point. So yeah. that to me didn't make a lot of sense. And it, it almost felt, you know, if, if, if we're in week seven and you're in that situation, I don't want to say you give up, but it, it just it felt strangely like a well, this is like a give up right. quarter, and so I, I'm I'm a little bit surprised there wasn't a, a little bit more of a of, of a backup plan there. But I also I mean, if you only are allowed to really have two quarterbacks on your roster, yep, active, then I don't I don't know what you're supposed to do. I'm surprised that. There is not an element there to, and I think the league will probably look at this. Yeah, because the the league is surprisingly reactionary about things. Where well, they want they wanted that to be a good game. They wanted the maximum television ratings and it to be compelling in all four quarters. And for the most people, they probably tuned out at halftime. Well, yeah, it, it was it was clearly over. And but the league is so reactionary. Like, what? Why is there not a third quarterback allowed? You know, an emergency quarterback allowed on there because the. You you had to know at some point this could happen, and now sure. you're talking about you're talking about if you're including the Super Bowl, two of your three biggest games of the year. In theory, nobody wants to watch. Basically, what was your fourth string quarterback, yep. and then what was your what would have been a fifth fifth string quarterback slot yep. essentially play in one of your three biggest games of the year well I can tell you one thing that all 32 NFL teams are going to be thoroughly analyzing their emergency plan when it comes to quarterback this offseason uh should another team get in that position next year yeah no doubt no doubt and I, I think um you know I, I don't know a ton about necessarily NFL roster construction and I I guess there's not a slot on there for a third quarterback but which, I wouldn't be surprised to see them add. It's it's fifty three. Like that's the roster that you can essentially dress for the game. And I believe if you wanted to have a third quarterback, that means you'd have to take away from another right. position. Yeah. Which again, quarterback ninety nine percent of the time, you're only it's only one guy going out there anyway. And usually having one backup does the trick. But you know, a position where you're rotating guys in, like wide receiver or defensive line or something like that, you don't want to take away any depth there so yeah it'd be interesting to see if the NFL you know addresses that in the offseason which they very well may because again this is something that happened in a high profile game yeah and they, and they do seem to even things that you can clearly see could one day happen they only seem to address it after it actually happens sure. so I, I could see the league certainly um, making some changes there that would be interesting to see what happens run to another timeout come back on the other side we'll get to some uh, recruiting talk as uh, you may not know this, but Wednesday is National Signing Day. Uh, I know it's kind of lost its luster, but we do have some interesting uh, commits to keep our eye on over these next couple of days. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, 107.5 The Game. Back in on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs and 107.5 The Game, Tyler Head and Wes Mitchell along with you. Speaking of Firehouse Subs, it is Tuesday. That means there's a sub of the day waiting for you at your local firehouse. Technically, some could say it's Monday. Oh, it is Monday. Whoops. My yes, bad. which means uh, you could get uh, – it is Meatball Monday there, Tyler. You're just wishing the day away, man. Um, get your Firehouse Subs lunch right now with the Rapid Rescue. That is my preferred way to order. Uh, go to firehousesubs.com. 
hit the little rapid rescue button and you can have a sub waiting for you before you can even get to the store. A, I mean, they, there are firehouse subs on pretty much every corner yep. at this point in the Midlands. So wherever you are, you just uh, type in your zip code there. It's going to show you the closest one. Uh, my preference is to go just grab it on the way home after I leave the uh, studio here. We actually had lunch there on Friday with our buddy Josh Yeoman. I got the brisket sandwich, add bacon. That's my favorite, but I am a meatball sub fan. Josh actually had the meatball. And uh, so meatball Monday is uh, the way to go. And what that means, every single day there is a sub of the day where you can get a medium for just $7.99. So if you go to firehousesubs.com right now, a meatball sub, a medium meatball sub for just $7.99. So on Friday we were talking all about Wendell Gregory or Wendell Gregory, however his name is supposed to be pronounced. Did we ever get a clarification on that? I don't believe we did. Don't believe we did. Okay, so we'll, maybe we'll find out once he's finally on campus. Uh, he is in the 2024 class, four-star linebacker out of Walton High School in Marietta, Georgia, six foot two, 217 pounds. Uh, his announcement came uh, late on Friday afternoon. And for the 2024 class, this means four, five, or four, four-star prospects already committed and uh, certainly several that are still in the conversation there. But, I mean, you almost can't ask for a much better start for the 2024 class for Shane Beamer. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the overall start here in a second because, I, I mean, it may be the best start I've ever covered. But, uh, you know, let's start with Gregory first, man. I mean, Carolina has, I, I would say for as long as I've been covering this thing, getting true blue-chip linebackers, like four-star guys, has been a struggle for them, even though they have landed players at pretty much every other position that you would say are true blue-chip guys. Um, you know, that position... They have had some. They've landed some good players, but a lot of times it's been more along the lines of, you know, a, a three-star guy who develops or is underrated. You look at Ernest Jones; he was a three a three-star guy. You look at Sky Moore, um, not the Sky Moore who was playing for the Chiefs yesterday. By the way, we had somebody on our board um, who got thrown off by that. But yeah, Sky Moore, I believe, was a late four-star in that he sort of rose quite a bit in the rankings mm. late in the process but early on for most of the process was not this super highly recruited guy South Carolina ended up fending off Miami but they didn't offer it until extremely late so they have not really had a ton of luck over the years landing major four-star prospects at that position and now you're talking about you know you can go to a couple classes ago Stone Blanton getting him out of Mississippi he's a four-star guy at linebacker you look at Pup Howard, who is already on campus right now as a true freshman that is in this current class, but enrolled early, even went through bowl practice. Early indications on him, you know, are that he just looks fantastic physically. And now you add Wendell Gregory, who, you know, is the most highly rated, highly recruited guy of all of them. On three has him as high as the number four linebacker in the country, which is, uh, you know, that's a big sentence, man. And I, I look at him on film. He can do a little bit of everything. It's not very often you have these high school guys that look like they have the frame to be an SEC linebacker, yet also have this combination where they can be a pass rusher, they can be an inside-the-box linebacker, and they they can actually go cover. A lot of times, you know, maybe it's a smaller guy, and you say, oh, there's coverage ability here, but you wonder, can he hold up against the run in the SEC? Then the other end of that is, you know, it's maybe a little bit bigger guy, he can maybe stop the run, maybe he can get after the passer, but you wonder, can he hold up when he's having to cover backs and cover tight ends, especially 
you know, at this level where the guys are, are so big and fast. You look at Gregory, and the first thing that stands out is just very versatile player, mm-hmm. already has a great frame on him, long arms, and you look at his film, he does a little bit of everything. There's pass rush, there's him picking off passes, um, covering tight ends like 40 yards down the field, and uh, he, he may be the most physically gifted linebacker that Carolina has had in the fold, um, I mean, in a, in a long, long, long time. And a big thing uh, for the 2024 class, obviously, had Dante Reno being the first commit and being on the offensive side of the ball. He went out and helped with Cam Pringle, and then we had Michael Smith that committed uh, not too long ago as well. Now you've got a guy on the defensive side of the ball, a highly regarded recruit on the defensive side of the ball. Now here's your opportunity where he can go out there and he can pull guys in saying, hey, come play with me, come join this class. We can do this, we can do that together. Like That's a big piece going forward to see how this 2024 class comes together. I, I don't know if I've seen Carolina have guys with as much buy-in as they're getting right now. I mean, Dante really sort of set that tone a little bit, I think. Obviously, you look at the 2023 class, going back to it, Pup had a, um, a, a huge part in recruiting others to join him, but uh, Dante has been doing that, you know, since even before he committed mm-hmm. last summer. And, you know, I'll tell you, the guy who now is sort of falling in line with that as well is Cam Pringle. Uh, you know, he's just committed – but he has turned his attention, you know, solely to recruiting other guys to join him. Uh, you know, he's been tweeting at Josiah Thompson, uh, tweeting at uh, Blake Franks, who's the offensive lineman from Greenville. And it, it just feels like, you know, not not that there's anything wrong with being the guy who just commits and yeah. just keeps to himself and goes about his business. There's nothing that says you're required to – recruit for your school once you commit sure um but it certainly helps and i i think for carolina you're just seeing that here in a row you have several guys who have complete buy-in uh to the program and to what beamer is doing and and i I think it's going to go a long way in state man i mean you look like, like you said so four commits so far and they do have a fifth silent commit that is out there as well for 2024 that happened over the weekend Shane Beamer sending out a welcome home I was wondering what that was about yeah so so you have another 2024 prospect so you have five guys um that are all committed the four public commits are all four stars um I think safe to say the fifth will be very highly recruited as well um you could even say will be a four star as well so I, I think the start to this class um, is unlike anything I've ever seen for South Carolina. I mean, I'm sure uh, your boys at Georgia, Tyler, and I'm sure Alabama and some, you know, Ohio State has had starts like this, I'm sure. But um, we're just not used to seeing Carolina get the number of early blue chip guys. You look at it right now, I'm, I'm a big fan of the blue chip ratio, mm-hmm. which um, – you know, gives you the percentage of blue chips in the class, which is a four- or five-star guy. And uh, Carolina currently sitting at 100% on the blue chip ratio for this class. Now, certainly, you know, they're, they're going to be some three-stars. Like, that's, yeah, that's how it works. They're going to fill out the class. But to have, you know, I, I've been covering this a long time. It felt like for the longest time, even when Carolina would land your guys like Cam Pringle, mm-hmm they were in the past having to fight for everything they had just to get the guy. 
you know, you look look at Clowney. It goes all it goes past signing day. Right. Look at Lattimore. It goes to the very end. Uh, Jordan Birch, they had to land him on two signing days. Like yep. they he committed, but then he didn't sign. So it, it's always just been a battle. And so to have guys committed early at this point, at this frame of the process, I think is a step in the right direction because you are now seeing them have the opportunity to sort of build that hype. Cam Pringle recruiting for them, Dante Reno recruiting for them. And, um, you know, we'll see from from what I've heard. I So Chris has talked to Gregory more than I have. I don't know if I've ever even interviewed the kid. I don't know yet if he will be one of the guys that jumps in and starts recruiting as well. Mm-hmm. But I do know from what Chris has said is he, he does have a good personality. He's been very accessible as far as interviews. That normally carries over into um, – you know, recruiting other guys. And, and it doesn't always have to be to the level that Dante and Cam are doing. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, if I'm on campus and this other guy's on campus, um, you know, do I have the personality to try and sort of build that relationship and, and build that connection? Jumping back to the 2023 class now, you mentioned things kind of going all the way down to the wire. Uh, the situation with Javion Hardy, who is committed, has not signed with South Carolina. Um, I was talking about this with Colin Taylor earlier. There's you know, some stuff going on with the admissions and obviously coming off of what happened with Jeff Code a couple of weeks ago, you know, that's obviously going to, uh, you know, heighten a lot of people's senses in regards to that. Well, what, what is the latest on Xavion uh, Hardy? Yeah, you know, um, I, I don't think this is a South Carolina ad- admissions issue. Um, you know, there, there's been talk from the beginning about would he, would he basically, you know, enroll at South Carolina or would he have to go the JUCO um, route mm-hmm. so uh, I think that's sort of still the I think that's still up in the air uh, I guess um, you know we'll see uh, certainly so even if he has to go Juco South Carolina would love to to have him after that they've they've had some great luck getting guys out of Juco ranks mm-hmm. and you know I, I think they are very high on him as a player as well so it's just a matter of would he go ahead and be able to enroll at South Carolina or would he um have to go JUCO first. And it's very important to, you know, keep those relationships because, again, if unfortunately he does have to go the JUCO route, then saying, hey, when when the time comes, a year, two years, whatever it is, it takes you to be able to get in here. We're ready for you. we got a spot for you, and, you know, we'll, we'll plug, you, plug you right in. And, and for the most part, those JUCOs will protect a, a school as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms – it's kind of a handshake relationship, like – hey, you know, we're going to quote, if we're going to place this guy at your school, then that JUCO will know, okay, it it is imperative that I do everything I can to keep other schools from trying to come in and poach this guy away right. if that school still wants him. Because if I'm that JUCO, I want for the Power 5 school to place the next guy they have as well. So if you send a kid to JUCO and then he ends up going to another school, that maybe comes back on that JUCO school a little bit. So right. there, there is some, there's some incentive there for, uh, you know, a, a JUCO to sort of help you, you keep a guy committed, um, even if it means they have to, a lot of times it's like a year and a half, you know, it's yeah. two seasons, but then you'll aim for that December enrollment so that they can go through spring practice. Carolina obviously has a guy right now in Elijah Davis who, um, you know, is coming in or is in already with this current class that went to East Mississippi and he wasn't really necessarily a direct South Carolina placement, but mm-hmm. was a situation where Carolina and, you know, this was originally the previous staff 
but he's from here. They were already recruiting him. He had already been on campus a bunch of times during his high school process, and so you build that framework. You you kind of build the foundation there of recruiting him, so getting him back home is a much easier process. Finally, on a Nicholas Harbor, uh, Colin Taylor said it's going to be a very interesting 72 hours to see all this plays out. Of course, uh, Carolina, Oregon, Michigan, and Maryland are on his list of potentials. You know, a lot of people say he's favored to South Carolina, but there could always be that late second switch. Where where does it stand right now to you for Nicholas Harbor? Yeah, this is one. This is a weird one. Um, so I'll tell you all, mo- most of the time with the recruiting process when it's winding down, there may be a public top four, a public top five. Um, you know, I would say the five right now would be those plus Miami, even though I don't, I don't think he's – by any means, he's going to go to Miami. Um, you know, Miami itself maybe thinks they're actually in this thing. I don't buy it. But, um, you know, point being, you have your, your top four or five. That's your your public group. For the most part, most of the time, internally, there's maybe a two, sometimes a three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, two or three schools is what I mean. So the other schools most of the time already know, hey, I'm not getting this guy. And those final two or three schools are fighting it out. Well, in this case, this is a rare situation where I really would not be surprised at all if it was any of the four. Um, Again, the four being South Carolina, Oregon, Maryland, Michigan. And I could make a case, um, and it would be, I would say, fairly well-sourced, like not just speculating. I could make a case of any of the four, why it would be them. Right. And I can make a case, any of the four, you know, of why I don't think it would be them. So it, it's going to – I'm hoping so – it's 1146 on Monday. Mm-hmm. Announcement comes at 1 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Right. I'm hopeful we will know more in the next 24 hours on which way this is headed to where we at least have an idea. Hey, here's the two finalists. However, right now – from what I've heard, Harbor has started to really shut things down mm-hmm. as far as it, trying to keep information from getting out. So it's going to be an interesting couple of days in terms of all those schools feeling like they're in it. And we'll see if any information whatsoever leaks out from Harbor's camp. And we'll see if Harbor keeps communicating behind the scenes with all four schools. Um, you know, Michigan has been strongest, longest, but it certainly feels like Michigan has faded. Mm-hmm. So we shall see. And I believe we got one more break, Tyler. Yes, about to hit the last break here. Let's hit that, and then let's, um, let's unpack that a little bit on the other side. All right, we'll run into the last break, but before we do, going to give you one more chance to win a pair of tickets. This one going to be for the women's basketball team taking on Kentucky this Thursday. That is February the 7th. Tip-off at 7 o'clock at Colonial Life Arena. A quick note, I made the mistake earlier. The men's game tomorrow tips off at 6.30, not 7 o'clock. And, of course, you can listen to that right here on 107.5 The Game. But be caller number 5 right here at 803-404-6100 to win tickets to the women's game Thursday night against Kentucky. You're listening to the, to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour there by Firehouse Sub. Home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. Back in on the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head and Wes Mitchell 
along with you for just a few more minutes here. Jay and Terry coming up on the other side of 12 o'clock with the halftime show. And Wes, you had something that you were saving for the other side of the break. Yeah, I guess. Uh, the uh, I, I just think there's a lot to unpack with all four schools, man. And it's just very strange that it happens like this because usually it's down to two or three. And so I, I can kind of make your case. So a lot of people have been assuming, and, and may, maybe this is right, a lot of people have been assuming that Oregon is making this big push for Nick Harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also, it felt like people were anticipating that before the visit even took place. And so I think on one hand, Tyler, you have Oregon and people are saying the Nike connection, right? the fact that Harbor is going to be a larger-than-life brand wherever he goes, that they can pre- present these great Nike NIL branding opportunities for him. Sure. All true. Great program in the Pac-12. Great stadium, great atmosphere. Uh, Dan Lanning seems to have things going in the right direction there. So all these things make sense on paper. However, they have not been recruiting him as hard or as long and don't have the relationships he has with Michigan, South Carolina, or Maryland. Um, you can talk about Michigan. They're, they've made the college football playoff uh, you know, twice recently. They... I would say have actually been strongest longest in terms of his entire recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at one point, if you made me guess, I probably would have said Michigan is the most likely factor. His parents really like Michigan. However, feels like they have faded a little bit. The reports from the Michigan side say they don't feel like they can present as many NIL opportunities as other schools. Uh-huh. And it certainly feels like the Harbaugh to the NFL thing, um, which was a big thing, then it died. Right. Now, there's still a few little whispers out there about it still, but it certainly feels like that hurt their chances. Maryland. Part of you says, would he really go to Maryland? Mm-hmm. But then you look at the job Maryland has done recruiting other guys in that DMV area. You look at that staff and the fact that they have had luck with big-time prospects. It's a long-standing relationship there as well. Then you look at South Carolina, and you say, um, you know, South Carolina doesn't quite have the on-field success as maybe an Oregon or a Michigan, right? but the long-standing relationship with Shane Beamer, long-standing relationship with uh, Sterling Lucas, uh, the job Jody Wright has done recruiting him to play tight end, to play on offense, um, the fact that he uh, – has really been highly interested in South Carolina for over a year now. That There's a real chance that he does pick South Carolina. Right. So I, I think it usually it's just not this broad, this open, where I think all those schools, except maybe Michigan, it, it, acts, mm. it weirdly feels like Michigan is not as confident as they once were okay. from what I've heard. So – is it Oregon, a school that is literally on the other side of the country and that you you can drive from D.C. to Columbia? I was going to ask, does proximity matter? Like, you know, I, if Oregon's on the table, then that's certainly a, a big change there. But if, you know, they're willing to throw millions of dollars at them for NIL, then, you know, you can get over a long plane ride. But is that a factor in the proximity of being able to easily get to South Carolina, family coming to games, that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, there there's some speculation in this answer as well. It seems like proximity does matter. Location does matter. However, like you said, with you know, if everything else checks out, does location sort of just get thrown as well? Nothing. There is no perfect answer. Sure. You know, you're you're giving or taking. You got pros and cons for every school. So, do you if you're them, do you say, "Wow, we loved Oregon." Everything except the location. Mm-hmm. However, if you're going to every single game and you're his family, you're even the away games, you're talking about Pac twelve country. Yep. So I mean you can you can get in the car and hit the interstate and drive, even though obviously DC area is not quote close to Columbia. Sure. You can drive here in the same amount of time it would take you to it would take longer to fly yeah. to Oregon with all the checks and and yep. all that stuff. So yep. And now you're talking about being jet lagged every single week, flying back over here. Um, I think that matters. Now, how much does it matter? Is, is this truly, uh, oh, I'm going off to college. I'm going to have to accept that I'm not going to be as close with my family as I would have been. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't know. And I think that's part of the reason why, Tyler, this one's going to be so intriguing. Yep. This is why so many fan bases are tuned in because all four of them, and even Miami – has somehow let itself think they're in this as well. Mm-hmm. So you only, you only get so many of these. This is a true national recruiting battle that South Carolina has found itself right in the middle of. I know we got to get out of here, yep. but plenty more to get to in the next 48 hours. I'll say hopefully you have. Makes a little sports analysis, pop culture, and great interviews. And you've got the Rich Eisen Show podcast. Brian Cranston, great to see you, man. One of your first gigs was a Preparation H commercial. What happened? It's called a job, Rich. (laughs) I know you haven't been job hunting in a while. (laughs) I was a spokesperson. I wasn't (laughs) afflicted. If I was afflicted, I would trust you. I would put that ointment on and go, here we go. The Rich Eisen Show podcast, wherever you listen.